My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So the people who listened online didn't hear the children's sermon, so let's remind them that if you're going to make chocolate chip cookies, the most important ingredient are chocolate chips. If you're going to build a church, Paul says, the body of Christ, the most important ingredient is love. In fact, he begins by saying, you can say the most perfect things in the most perfect way. But if there's no love, it means nothing. He says, you can give the greatest gifts. You can give all of your money and all of your time and all of your talent. But if there's no love, nothing happens. He says, you can do all the right things. Be the best that you can be. But if there's no love, nothing happens. Love is the most important ingredient. Now, I, I don't know if you were taking notes on the scripture. I took them for you. Paul has to define love by telling us what it is and what it isn't. I'm a little bit ahead of myself, so let me back up. How many of you had this passage read at your wedding? Really? It's not as many as I thought. So many people ask for it today. I actually have a photocopy of it in my minister's book. Because I know 99% of the time they're going to pick this. And if they don't pick this, they're picking Genesis. A man shall leave his mother. No, a man, a woman shall leave her mother, father, and a man shall leave his home. And they will cleave to one another. Nobody picks Ephesians. Women, love your husbands and submit to them. Nobody picks that. If they let me pick, I usually pick that. Some people lately have been picking uh, 1 John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not, loveth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. And the scholarly people getting married sometimes pick Ruth. Whither thou goest, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. But 99% of the time, we're going with love is patient, love is kind. Now, it's hard to tell if something is done in love. Because I, I sometimes wish that human beings had a little LED screen across their forehead, and we would tell what they were thinking while they were doing it, you know, like the Matrix, just plug them in and we would know, but you never know. So Paul says, if you need to know what love looks like, and it's not just for marriage. In fact, I think we, we do this passage a disservice when we relegate it to only weddings. This passage needs to be, well, later on I'm going to title it Paul's Rules for Living in the Church, but we didn't get there yet. So if you're taking notes, there are eight things that Paul says love is, and there are eight things that Paul says love is not. Now, why did he do that? Because we need to be able to do a checkup from the neck up, is what I tell couples when I'm, getting ma when I'm marrying them. I tell them, before your feet hit the floor, you are not allowed to measure the love of the other person. You can only measure the love that you are giving the other person. Right? What we want to do is, you're not being patient, and you're not being kind, and why aren't, why aren't you doing this and this and this? But 
we're really supposed to be checking ourselves in the family of God. So I will speak slowly. Here are the eight love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. And endures all things. And then what's he say? Love never fails. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's perfect. There we go. Does anybody need me to go over them again? Rejoices in the truth. Now, let's look at the love does nots. There's eight of them as well. Love is not envious. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. <laughs> I love this. It does not insist on its own way. If we are loving in the church, we're not allowed to say it's my way or the highway. Ugh. Now, I love this. One passage I read said love is not irritable. I want to say perhaps not easily irritable, right? There's those people that are just like a match waiting to be lit. They, they just want to be irritated. It's not resentful. Why did God bless them and not me? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There we go. Now, I want you to know that Paul makes it very clear that there are many things in the body of Christ that are worthwhile and build us up and grow. But he wants us to know that the glue that holds the body of Christ together is love. We're back to the most important ingredient. I want you to know that Paul never intended this passage to be a wedding passage. In fact, if you go to one verse before it, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the last half, Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way. He's just done in chapter 12 of Corinthians, he did the whole body of Christ, and you can't all be an eye, and you can't all be an ear, and what are you going to do if you stub your toe, and the body has to work together? And after he does that whole picture of the body, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. So if I were going to retitle this passage, if they were doing a Madison translation of Corinthians, I would head this with Paul's rules for living in the church. Now, what do we know about a body? A body is living. It moves. It's got life. You know what they sometimes call the Presbyterians? The frozen chosen. <laughs> right? Because we come to church and we plan ourselves. Now, we're not Presbyterians, but we know Presbyterians. I've worked for Presbyterians, and uh, that, it's hard to get a Presbyterian moving sometimes. But let's be honest. It's hard to get a Baptist moving sometimes, or a Catholic, or you can fill in anything you want. A body is supposed to be alive and doing stuff. A body is interdependent. Have you ever, have you ever perhaps been singing uh, Verdi's Requiem 
Not that this would ever happen to anybody in the room. You're singing Verdi's Requiem, and you're in a very quiet part, and they have made it very clear that they don't want anybody in the chorus to distract from what's happening with the soloists. And always at that moment, your nose itches. <laughs> it, it happens every time. And you're standing there, and all you want to do is scratch your nose. And you, you, mm. And sometimes it's a really good itch. Your eyes begin to water, and you're like dying to scratch your nose. Why? Because your body works together. Like, I almost want to lean over to the guy next to me and go like this. But that would be even more distracting, right? We work together. We can scratch our nose. We can clap our hands. Now, there is that one spot in your back that you can't reach. You need help for that. That's part of the body, too. Now, every now and then when Vicky isn't nearby and I have that itch, I learned this from watching bears. I'll find a door jam and just do this on the... You can't see this, but I'm rocking back and forth, right? To find that one spot. But the body is supposed to be interdependent. I want you to hear this. The body is purposeful. God did not design the body of Christ to be a lump. We're not just supposed to be here. We're supposed to be purposeful. And if we have a purpose, we've said this many times, it's to go to heaven and take as many people with us as we can. A body, hear this, is self-sustaining. We need you to support the church. Why? Because we like to have lights and we like to have heat and we, we like to support missions, um, funds to flourish. Kara, what is the name of your nonprofit? Gethsemane Garden. Gethsemane Garden. And, um, well, Soraya's ministry doesn't have a title other than Soraya, but... We, we've got to sustain, we've got to support the work of the church. And I want you to hear this. The body is varied. There, there are different people in our pews. There are different people in the body. Some of us are tall. Some of us wish we were tall. Some of us are thin. Some of us wish we were thin. Some of us have hair. Some of us have decided just to shave it all off. Some, right? We're all different. Some of us sing. Some of us shouldn't sing. Some of us can play the piano. Some of us can teach. Some of us can do something. God made us different and varied to, to work as part of the body. But what's Paul say? If you don't do it with love, it ain't worth doing. Here's something I want you to think about. This is your seminary moment in the sermon. Uh, the word that Paul uses is agape. And you know what? Sometimes if you're a preacher, you've got to go back and look at stuff you know to see if you really know what you know. Vicki and I were out to dinner last night, and uh, we were discussing a word as to what do you call an after-dinner drink. She said it one way. I said it another this happens a lot. So, I think I'm right. I got out Google. I typed in the word. And then I listened to how they said it on Google. And then I played it for Vicky. Right? So, we all think we know what agape means. And we talk about unconditional love. 
So I dug a little deeper. Um, one of my favorite resources is Thayer's lexicon of the, of the Greek New Testament. And he goes through both the historical use of the word agape and then the way that it was used. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the Septuagint, how the Greek was translated from the Hebrew into the Greek. And Thayer says that agape is a uniquely Christian word. We sort of made it up for ourselves. And Thayer says that his definition would be this. And I'm going to speak real slow if you're taking notes, because this is good stuff. Thayer describes agape as the love of a Christian to another Christian as prompted by their faith. I'll say that again. A love of a Christian to another Christian as prompted by their faith. We talk about agape being unconditional. It is, but it's got an intention rather than just being unconditional. The intention is for us to emulate the God has for us, the love that God has for us to those in the body of Christ. What does Paul write? They'll know we are Christians by our fried chicken. Right? You go to most every church and they'll say, oh, we know how, to, Methodists know how to eat. Presbyterians know how to eat. Baptists know how to eat. Paul says, no. Methodists know how to love. Baptists know how to love. Presbyterians know how to love. Now, if there's a couple good baked goods wrapped in, I'm not going to be upset. But the baked goods have to be made in love. Vicki laughs at me, and she's allowed to, because I'm silly sometimes. Whenever I get a hoagie at Wawa, and they call your number 257, and they put it up, I say, did you make it with love like my mom does? And they always say yes. I know they wouldn't lie to me. Everything we do in the church has to be done with love. The love of a Christian to another Christian as prompted by what God has done for us. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an action. Love is not a choice. Love is a rule and a mandate and a commandment. Think about it. For God so loved the world that he gave. They'll know we are Christians by our love. When Jesus reconciled with a broken Peter, Peter didn't even want to talk to Jesus. Peter didn't even want to look at Jesus. Peter was so glad that Jesus was on the shore, he jumped into the freezing cold Sea of Galilee and swam to the shore. What did Peter say? Do you, what did Jesus say? Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Love should propel us to action. Paul Tillich, the theologian, said that the first duty of love is to listen. Are we a listening church? Are we listening to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we listen to our families and friends? Do we listen to the needs of the community? Do we listen to the needs of the world? Let me tell you what this looks like. In the middle 1990s, I was the chaplain for the MS-150. You know, I love to ride my bicycle. 
And it used to start up at the racetrack when there was a racetrack. And they went 75 miles down to the shore. We would spend the night. And at 5.30 the next morning, some crazy chaplain, that would be me, got up and had a service on the beach. And then we rode all the way back. I did it for almost 20 years. I stopped after the knee replacements. That, but now I'm up to 68 miles. I think I might be able to do it again. Anyway, they're having a training ride at Dan's Eisen and Quigley. And my friend and I go, because I'm the chaplain for the event. They say, come on, chaplain, come with us. And you may have seen the handlebars that lean out over the bike. They're called aero bars. Greg LeMond was the first to use them in the Tour de France. That's how he won in the last time trial at the Champs-Élysées. Okay, only I, as soon as he did that, I went and bought them. I have my originals. And remember when you used to put your foot into what they called a rat trap and it had a little leather strap? I'm riding on my aero bars about 20 miles an hour in a small peloton. I look down and I see, it was like a, a bad television movie, actually saw the leather undo and go right into the chain, stopped the bike cold, shot me over, and the ambulance took me to the hospital. They had to rebuild this shoulder. That was the first time. And my wife at the time had just changed shift to work every weekend. And I dislocated and broke the right, and I strained the left, and I was in literally two slings. Ben and John were like six and five, and Diana was a newborn. And we had no idea what to do, because I couldn't pick up the newborn, I couldn't change the newborn. There were two people at our church who were beseeching heaven for a child. And she was, as the Bible would say, barren. And the first night that Jackie went to work, they showed up at my house. We didn't ask them to come. They showed up at my house. And they said, we're here to take care of the kids. And for about three months, they showed up at my house every weekend. And that woman who was praying for a baby took care of our baby and my kids. And you know what happened? She got two babies, right? That's love. I, it didn't occur to me until years later how much love was involved in that action to go and take care of somebody else's baby when all you wanted was one of your own. The most important ingredient is love. Too often the world tells us or tries to sell us the perfect ingredient. It'll make you happier. It'll make you healthier. It'll make you wealthier. But the most important ingredient for our lives, for our relationships, and for our ministry is love. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin and yours. All he asked in return is that we would give him our lives. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died for you and confess him as your Lord and Savior. As always, the front pew is going to be open during our 
our last hymn. If you need prayer or counsel or help with the decision. But look for that ingredient in yourselves and in our church. Amen.